This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Okay, so what we're going to do for the next several weeks is to try to reflect on different components of our Avodah Hashem, to try to understand and try to analyze, particularly in the time that we're living in, where we're kind of out and about, but we still feel to some degree isolated. Um, I will tell you that some students have already reached out to Mrs. Shakin or myself and have said, I'm davening and I'm trying the best that I can to, uh, to devote some time to learning, but I'm having a hard time connecting. I'm having a hard time really feeling HaKadosh Baruch Hu in my life. I want to see Hashem. I want to feel Hashem. I want to connect with Hashem. Some of us are on vacation. Some of us don't have our summer plans in place. Some of us need to feel a little bit more that our Kodesh Baruch is in our life. I'm going to try the best that I can to try to help you feel Hashem in your life. One student reached out to me and said, Rebbe, you've always told us that we can't be inspired. We got to get inspired. So I'm going to try to do the best that I can to help you get inspired. And I'm going to try to get inspired along with you. I specifically wrote in the email, if you noticed, that it's learning together. We're going to try to grow together through our, through our learning. So I want to introduce the entire summer series that I'm going to call it with a story and then move into um, the topic for tonight. I saw an amazing, amazing story. Uh, Quoted in the name of Rav Shimon Schwab. Those who do not know who Rav Shimon Schwab is, Rav Shimon Schwab was a Rav, actually, he was born and raised in Germany. He was a Yeki. He was a Rav in Germany. Um, he then was brought over, Baruch Hashem. He got out, I believe, before the war really had started. And he made his way to Baltimore, and where he was a Rav. And he ultimately took over for the German community as the Rav in Washington Heights, New York. Those who are familiar know that the, uh, the German community that started really with Rav Shamshin or Fall Hirsch and was then passed down to a number of different Rabbanim, including Rav Breuer. Um, there's a very prominent German community in Washington Heights, New York, and Rav Schwab was the Rav in, in that community. But when he lived in Germany, he uh, ultimately was able to be Zoha, he merited to attend Tells in Lithuania and also to attend the Mir. Way back in the 20s and early 30s. You're talking about really back in the day learning in these very well-known yeshivos. And the story is told that Rav Schwab had the opportunity to spend the Shabbos with the Chavetz Chaim. The Chavetz Chaim had passed away in 1933. We think of the Chavetz Chaim as someone who lived three, four, five hundred years ago. He died in 1933, author of the Mishnah Brura, author of the very famous Sefer Shmira Salashon, made famous the prohibition of speaking Lashon Hara. And Rav Schwab had the opportunity to spend a Shabbos in Radin with the Chavetz Chaim. You can imagine the most incredible experience we hear of the Chavetz Chaim. He's a legend. He's somebody who is so incredibly inspiring, the person who never spoke Lashon Hara before, right? And he got to spend the Shabbos with the Chavetz Chaim. And he records and he explains and he says that over the course of that Shabbos, when the Talmidim, the students of Radin, spent Shabbos with the Chavetz Chaim, that the Chavetz Chaim posed the following question to the students and Rav Schwab. And he said, we all know that the man tasted like whatever you wanted it to taste like. You wanted it to taste like pizza, it would taste like pizza. You wanted it to taste like a skirt steak, it would taste like a skirt steak. Whatever you'd want it to taste like, that's what it would taste like. And the Chavetz Chaim posed the following question to his students. What happens if you didn't think about the man? You didn't think about what you wanted it to taste like. What would it taste like? Rav Schwab's there, present, watching the Chavetz Chaim pose this inquiry to his students. None of the students knew what to answer. 
And the Chavetz Chaim said that you want to know what it tasted like? It tasted like nothing. If you didn't think about what you wanted it to taste like, it had no taste at all. Explain the Chavetz Chaim, the same is true about our lives. If we don't think about our service to Hashem, it's going to taste like nothing. We're going to have absolutely no excitement. There's not going to be anything to our lives. And the same way that if you don't think about the man, there's not going to be any taste. If you don't think about your life and the dimensions to your avodas Hashem, you're going to have nothing to live for. There's going to be no excitement. And I introduce the topic in, in general, but particularly the one tonight, because I've been spending a lot of time over the last few months for reflecting on my, avon, my own avodas Hashem and kind of reflecting on a number of different elements to my own service of Hashem that I take for granted, that are just part of my rote and routine, that are part of who I am. I was merited, I was privileged to grow up from, to grow up observant. I always kept Shabbos, always had kept kosher, was always a from person. And when you're from your whole life, so much of our lives become rote and routine. They become stale. We oftentimes don't take a step back, push ourselves out of our comfort zones to try to analyze some of the basics of our lives. And so therefore, what we're going to try to do is each and every week that we do this, maybe hone in on a different dimension of our lives that we know we're supposed to do. But in in reality, we don't always uh, focus on, we don't always bring that flavor, so to speak, of the Chavetz Chaim to it. And we need to be able to hone in on and hopefully with the goal and the objective of then seeing and bringing Hashem more present in our lives. So today's topic is agendas. Agendas. All of us have them. We all have agendas. We all have things we want to accomplish. We all have goals we've set for ourselves, objectives that we've had. We all say to ourselves, I want to do things for this and this reason. I want to achieve these goals for this and this reason. And I want to talk about while it's great to have agendas, I think all of us need to take a step back for a moment and need to figure out if the agendas we've had until now are the agendas that we really should be having. And with that, I want to introduce the story of Korach. This week's Parsha is Parsha's Korach. And though we are going to begin as our jumping point from Parsha's Korach, we're going to enter into a numerous different worlds that are going to leave the story of Korach, but we're going to begin with Korach. We all know the story of Korach. Korach was very unhappy with the fact that his cousins, Moshe and Aaron were chosen for two of the roles, and his younger cousin, Elitzafan, was chosen for the third prestigious role. He was very upset. He didn't bother him initially when Moshe and Aaron took those initial roles of being the king, so to speak, and the Kohen Gadol. But when he was passed over for his younger cousin to be the Nasi, to be the prince of his tribe, to have his family, that he could no longer tolerate. And he mustered up and he rallied up the troops to rebel against, to rebel against Moshe Rabbeinu and say, who are you and why do you think you're any better than any one of us? And he created a machlokas that we're all very familiar with. The, the Mishnah, the Mishnah in Pirkei Avos, in source number one, if you have it in front of you, compares and contrasts two types of machlokas, two types of disputes, one that is considered to be l'shem shamayim, and one is considered to be ena l'shem shamayim. Look inside source number one. The Mishnah in Pirkei Avos, Perakei, Mishnah Yudzain tells us as follows. You should know that any dispute that is L'Shem Shamayim, we're going to have to find out what exactly L'Shem Shamayim is, what is that agenda that the Mishnah is referring to, but you should know that if you have a Marchlokas, if you have a dispute, 
If you have an argument that is l'shem shamayim, so the Mishnah guarantees sofo l'hiskayim. That machlokes and the results of that argument are going to endure, they are going to persevere, they are going to survive. V'she'ena l'shem shamayim. But if you have a machlokes that's not l'shem shamayim, again, we don't really know what that is, we'll get there. But the Mishnah says, if you have a machlokes that's not l'shem shamayim, it will not endure and it will not last and it will not survive. Now we're all thinking right now, what type of machlokas is l'shem shamayim? What type of dispute is for the sake of heaven, Rav Hashem? And what is a dispute that's not l'shem shamayim? So the Mishnah does, does the hard work for us and says, What's a dispute, an argument that's l'shem shamayim? Zu machlokas hilal v'shamayim. Those are the disputes that we're all familiar with that take place and exist time and time again between Hillel and Shammai. V'she'ena l'shem shamayim. What is the machlokas that we should be aware of that was not done l'shem shamayim? Zu machlokas korach v'chol adoso. That was the machlokas of korach. So what we need to try to do and unpack is to try to understand two things about this Mishnah. Number one, what does it mean to be l'shem shamayim? What does that mean? What does that mean? What does it mean that we should have an objective of a goal that everything we do in our life, by the way, not just in Machlokes, but anything in our Avodah Hashem, what does it mean to be L'Shem Shamayim? And number two, what does it mean that if you have a Machlokes, that's L'Shem Shamayim, so it'll endure, it will last. But if you have a Machlokes, that's not L'Shem Shamayim, it's never going to last. What does that mean, Ein L'Hizkayim? What does that mean? Those are the two questions we're going to have to try to understand. We're going to have to try to unpack. And I think once we do so, it's going to open up a world to us that we may not be reflecting on on a regular basis, but will probably reorganize and restructure the priorities we have in our lives. So in order to understand what does it mean to be L'Shem Shemaim, I think we have to analyze Korach. We're actually going to do it in the opposite way than the Mishnah presents. The Mishnah presents what a Machlokas L'Shem Shemaim is with Hillel Shemaim and then introduces us to a Machlokas She'eno L'Shem Shemaim of Korach. We're going to actually analyze Korach first. And I want to share with you an unbelievable insight of the Kedushas Levi. The Kedushas Levi was Rebbe Levi Yitzchak Mibar one of the very famous Hasidic masters. And the Kedusha Slavia's commentary on Chumash is unbelievable, unhitched. It's going to blow you out of the water. And the Kedusha Slavia shares with us something amazing that's going to help us understand the agenda of Korach. Listen to this. We know that the Pasuk at the beginning of this week's Parsha says, Vayikach Korach, Korach took. But if you look all around the Psukim, the Torah does not tell us what Korach took. Vayikach Korach. What did he take? And many of the Mepharshim, the Rishonim, many of the Achronim, all struggle and grapple with what exactly did Korach take when it says, Vayikach Korach. And the Kedush HaSlevi has something that is so incredible as to how he explains what the Torah means. And I'm going to read it with you, and I want you to read it inside because I want you to see it for yourself. It is so amazing. Listen to what he says. Ki yesh tzadik rak la'asos tanog baruchu. There are some people in this world, righteous individ- individuals, who serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu just to bring what I would call Nachas to Hashem. Ve'etzel zehat tzadik, and a person like this, in chiluk im huoset tanug lahabori baruch Hu, doesn't matter if he's the one who brings the Nachas, o tzadik acher oset tanug lahabori Hu, or somebody else gets credit for giving the Nachas to Hashem. 
All he cares about is making sure that we're all doing the right thing. He doesn't care about credit. He doesn't care about who's the person that's put on a pedestal. He's not interested in being that prestigious individual that everybody recognizes as such. All he cares about is bringing nachas to the Ribbon and Shalom. That type of tzaddik is the w- one type of person. But a person who cares about himself or herself, what do they care about? They care about getting their own reward. Then he's going to care about being the one who does the actions to serve his creator. And that's what the Torah means when he says, You know what Korach cared about? He cared about his own prestige. He cared about taking Vayikach Korach. He cared about taking the credit for himself. He wanted to bring the Nachas to Hashem. He wanted to get the credit for leading the Jewish people. He wanted to be the conduit to help others be inspired. He didn't want Moshe Rabbeinu. He didn't want Aharon HaKohen. And he didn't want Eli Safan. It had to be him. That was what he was focused on. Vayikach Korach means he was taking the credit. He wanted the credit. He wanted the focus to be solely on him. That's what it means that he took evil for himself. That's why he argued with Moshe and wanted to be the Kohen Gadol. But if all he cared about is serving Hashem, if that's all he was looking at, if all he was looking at was to be a L'Shem Shemayim Jew, he doesn't care if he's the one giving the dafyomi or if somebody else gives the dafyomi. As long as people are learning, awesome. He doesn't care if he's the one delivering the Tom Shabbos or somebody else is delivering the Tom Shabbos. At the end of the day, if he's behind the scenes and someone else gets credit for it, Tavala Bracha, amazing. Korach wanted to be the one in the limelight. Korach what didn't want to serve the Ribonish Lolam because the objective is to be L'Shem Shamaim, simply serving Hashem for the sake of the relationship. He wanted to serve Hashem so that he himself could be put on a pedestal, so that he himself could be recognized, so that others would bow to him, so to speak, as a leader. And that's what he says. If that all he really cared about was serving Hashem, no way would Korach have ever cared about becoming the Kohen Gadol. If he, if he recognizes that each one of us are serving Hashem in our own way, and each one of us is going to be L'Shem Shemayim, he wouldn't have cared about Moshe, he wouldn't have cared about Aaron, he wouldn't have cared about Elisaphon. But because it was Vayikach Korach, he was not about L'Shem Shemayim. He was about himself. He was trying, instead of trying to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu, he wanted HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so to speak, to serve him. That's not being L'Shem Shemayim. When the Mishnah in Pirkei Yavu says that Korach Va'adaso was not uh, in, uh, participating in, was not conducting himself in a machlokis, l'shem shamayim, is because the whole conversation was predicated on serving him and not serving Hashem. Not being l'shem shamayim means that you don't care about how to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and you don't care about how to help other people serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu. You care how HaKadosh Baruch Hu can serve you. And that's not l'shem shamayim. Wow! What an unbelievably powerful Kedushas Levi. Vayikach Korach. Korach was taking, he was taking all the credit for him. It was all about him. And that's not being L'Shem Shemaim. What is L'Shem Shemaim? What does it mean to be L'Shem Shemaim? So take a look at the Rabbeinu Yonah. The Rabbeinu Yonah, very famous. Rishon, commentary on the Gemara. 
very famous author of the Shari Tshuva, the Gates of Repentance, says something unbelievable on the Mishnah and Pirkei Yavos that we read when we said that Hillel and Shammai will Hashem Shemaim. Take a look at the commentary of Rebbeinu Yonah in source number three. Hillel and Shammai didn't argue so that way other people would recognize how great they are. All they cared about was Emes. All they cared about was They had one singular focus in mind. And do you know what that singular focus was when they argued? Do you know what the whole premise of every dispute they had with one another? It was with a laser-focused objective. And do you know what that objective was, says the Rabbeinu Yonah? That every machlokas they had was not about themselves. They didn't care about being right or being wrong. It didn't matter to Shammai that more often than not, we paskin like Hillel. He would continue to dispute Hillel simply to ensure that they would get to the conclusion of MS. What is MS? So says the Rabbeinu Yonah, MS means to be able to serve our Creator in the best way possible. Do you see the two extremes of what it means to be L'Shem Shamayim and what it means to be Eino L'Shem Shamayim? Hillel and Shammai, they didn't care about anything other than ultimately achieving the goal of serving their creator in the best way possible. It didn't matter that in certain situations we paskin like Shammai and in other situations we paskin like Hillel. It didn't matter that they went to battle in the Melchal Toshel Torah, that they were at war with one another when it came to learning Torah because at the end of the day, they didn't, all they cared about was getting to a conclusion that would help them and everyone around them serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu in a better way. How much different is that than Korach? Where Korach was all he was thinking about, it was his name and lights. Where all he was thinking about was his uh, position being put on a pedestal, where he was getting all the credit. And it's just the opposite when it comes when it comes to Hillel and Shammai. That perhaps is why the Tana pits those two right against each other. Because it couldn't be more clear what it means to be L'Shem Shamayim like Hillel and Shammai who are singularly focused on achieving the goal, the objective of La'avodoso Shalmakom to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu pristinely, purely, un- unadulterated, un- without any artificial elements to it, but be able to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu L'Shem Shamayim as opposed to the Korach who was only looking at himself, and as we mentioned, he wasn't looking at serving HaKadosh Baruch Hu, but in some ways he was maybe looking at HaKadosh Baruch Hu serving him. What is MS? Says the Rabbeinu Yonah that the Shammai and Hillel, they were looking to achieve MS. They were looking to achieve this MS that they could serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu with. What is MS? And most people would define, you ask your average person out there, what is MS? And I'll tell you, MS is truth. So I'd like to ask you, I'd like to pose to you the following question. It's not my question. It's Rav Dessler's question that he writes in his Mechtav Me'elio in source number four. And he asks, if MS is truth, then let me ask you the following halachic question. If MS is truth, then when somebody asks you something about another person that is negative, you should be able to respond. You should be able to say some true facts. You're right, it's Lush and Haral. But I'm obligated to live a life of MS. And if I'm obligated to live a life that is simply defined by living a life of truth, then I should be permitted in all circumstances to be able to share any truthful facts. And yet we know that's not the case. We know that it's not permitted to say something true about somebody uh, if it's going to be negative. We know that just because 
something is true doesn't mean that the halacha would permit you to speak Lashon Hara. Or let me go about it from a different angle. We know of the three Avos, Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. Yaakov is the Midah of Emes. Yaakov is the Midah of Emes, of truth. Well, let's understand that for a second. Is there anybody that I wouldn't want to pick more than Yaakov? Yaakov, the man who fooled his father in getting the bracha, that's truth? The man who somehow fooled his father-in-law in getting more cattle by making sure they were spotted, that's emes? That's truth? Says Rav Dessler, there's no way that the word emes could possibly be defined as truth. Because if that's true, then it would be permissible to speak Lashon Hara as long as it's true. And Yaakov Avinu shouldn't be the one who would be symbolic, who would represent sufficiently the Midah of Emes. And so therefore, says Rav Dessar, take a look inside, in source number four. And he says the following. He says in the underline, Nimtza She'emes Hu, you want to know really what Emes is? Sorry. You want to know what MS is? MS is exactly what the Rabbeinu Yonah described about Hillel and Shammai. MS is doing the Ratzon of Hashem. Sometimes that means not telling the truth. It means not telling the truth. Like in... Lashon Hara. I'll give you another example. There are times in which it's permitted not to tell the truth when it comes to Shalom bias. But what do you mean? We have to live a life of MS. We have to live a life that's truthful, right? Why are we allowed to not be truthful in those scenarios? So Rav Dessler explains because MS doesn't mean objective, factual truth. MS means following and doing the Ratzon, the will of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's what Rabbeinu Yonah says is L'Shem Shamayim, And that is the definition, says Rav Dessler, of what MS is. And now that we understand what the definition of MS is, so now it makes a lot of sense. It's not about factual, objective truth. It's about doing the Ratzon of Hashem, the will of Hashem. If HaKadosh Baruch Hu says that it's permissible to, speak, to not speak Lashon Hara, even at the expense of sometimes lying, that's okay. That's MS. That's the Ratzon of Hashem. If there's a situation... And in Shalom Bayis, where twisting the truth a little bit, as long as a Rav Paskin, that that's permissible, that's okay. Because MS means doing the Ratzon of Hashem. And let's take it one step further, says Rav Dessler. Yaakov Avinu. Why did Yaakov Avinu lie to his father? Because his mother, who had Nevuah, was told that he needs to be able to get the brachos and that his brother's going to try to usurp it from him. So he's got to jump in there first to make sure to get that bracha, which was going ultimately going to serve as a prophetic legacy for Klal Yisrael. It wasn't that Yaakov did it on his own. He did it by way of nevuah, by way of prophecy. That's the Ratzon of Hashem. That's the Ratzon of Hashem. MS doesn't mean simply telling the truth. MS means doing the will of God. Being L'Shem Shamayim, that is Hillel, that is Shammai, but unfortunately, that's not Korach. So many of us struggle with this notion of L'Shem Shamayim. We have so many distractions in our lives. There's so many things flying at us, and it's very hard to separate what we want to do versus what Hashem wants us to do. So many of us, myself included, have a Korach as part of who we are. So many of us We manipulate the system so that we feel better about ourselves. And we say, yeah, yeah, we're doing it for the... This is what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants me to do. 
But in reality, if you really think to yourself, and I, really, I know I've said this phrase a few times, but it's really resonating with me, that so much of our life, we, if we're honest with ourselves, we will realize we're not serving HaKadosh Baruch Hu, but we're trying to manipulate Him with a capital H and the Torah to serve us. How often do we make decisions? And the first question we ask ourselves is not, is this what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants me to do? You want HaKadosh Baruch Hu to be present in your life? You want to feel like you have somebody who's on the other end of the phone call? Well, you got to bring him in. You got to bring the Rebona Shalom into those conversations. You want to have a dialogue? You want to be able to have somebody who you know is listening? You're only going to be able to do that if you bring him into your life. And the only way to bring him into your life is if at the beginning of every decision you make, you ask yourself, is this what Hashem wants me to do? If this is what Hashem wants me to do, he's in my life. He's present. He's prominent. There's no way to deny it. But if I'm going through life and I'm not thinking about those things and I'm thinking about what I want to do, and then at the same time you say to yourself, well, I know I, I want to do what I want to do, but I also want Hashem in my life, that doesn't work. Like I think of, you know, those who've had me in class before know that oftentimes I'll compare the relationship that we have with the Rebona Shalom to a husband and a wife, right? I often compare, particularly with my wife, who's a tzaddikas, you can all tell her that, right? That, uh, that could you imagine a scenario where every time you do something for your spouse, you do it with ulterior motives. So she asks you to take out, or he asks you to take out the garbage, and you do it because you're trying to bank some points later on. Could you imagine a relationship that is solely based on ulterior motives, on another agenda other than, I'm doing this because I value the relationship in and of itself? I can almost guarantee, I'm not a marriage counselor, but I can almost guarantee that the relationships that are based off of every decision, agenda-driven, every decision based on ulterior motives, those relationships, the same way the machlokis isn't going to persevere and endure, those relationships are not going to endure. Because at the end of the day, any meaningful relationship you're gonna have with anyone, your friends, your parents, a spouse, has to be based on a strong fundamental recognition that I'm in it for the long haul and I'm in it for the relationship. Not because of all the extras and not because of all the benefits that I'm gonna get later on, but because I value that relationship in it of itself. That's what it means to be L'shem Shamayim and that's what it means to live a life of Emes. Some of you may have heard me quote uh, in the past, uh, a beautiful Dvar Torah from Moshe Feinstein, not on this week's Parsha, but on Parsha's Chukas. You'll get two for one. You got a Dvar Torah on Korach now and you got a Dvar Torah on Chukas uh, in a couple of weeks. And we know that the Torah in Parsha's Chukas introduces the quintessential, the most famous chok, which of course is a mitzvah that has no reason that we are privy to, the mitzvah para aduma, right? The mitzvah that we, we take the ashes of the para aduma, we sprinkle them over somebody who is tame, who's impure, the person who has been sprinkled upon becomes pure, the Kohen who sprinkles him becomes impure, right? It doesn't make logical sense to us in our limited understanding. And Rav Moshe Feinstein asks a very obvious question about this introductory pasuk. The Torah says, Zos chukas ha-Torah. This is the chok of the Torah. And Rav Moshe asks a very well-known famous question. Why did the Torah say, Zos chukas ha-Torah? This is the chok of the Torah. The Torah should have said, Zos chukas ha-Para Aduma. This is the chok of Para Aduma. We have a chok of Kashrus. We have a chok of Shatnis. We have a chok of Para Aduma. Why does the Torah go so much more expansive, so much more generic by introducing this mitzvah of Zos Chukas Torah? It should have said, Zos Chukas, this is the law of Paraduma. 
And Rav Moshe highlights such an amazing insight, which is consistent and follows the theme that we're trying to drive home over here. And that is that the Torah wanted to highlight that while it's true that para aduma is a chok, and while it's true that chatness and kashras is a chok, and we only do them because Hashem told us to do them, we should realize, says HaKadosh Baruch Hu, when he instructed Moshe to write this pasuk, that it's not only true by these mitzvos, but every mitzvah that we are instructed has an element of chok. That we don't just do the mitzvah because it makes sense to us, but we should really be doing each and every mitzvah the same way we do the mitzvah paraduma, The same way that we do the mitzvah of kashrus. So just because we don't understand kashrus doesn't mean we're not going to do it, but we're going to say, you know what? HaKadosh Baruch Hu asked us to do it. We're going to do it. We should approach every mitzvah that way. Every single mitzvah, preferably, we shouldn't do because of some ulterior motive, some agenda-driven idea or thought process or approach, but rather we should be doing these mitzvahs because we understand that all we want to do is get closer to Hashem. All we want to do is live a life of MS. MS meaning ruts on Hashem. All we want to do is be l'shem shamayim. We are in it for the long haul, HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We want to be in love with you, Hashem. I heard an amazing line, which I'll share with you. In the name of Rav Tzvi Berkowitz. Rav Tzvi Berkowitz is a Rebbe in Neri Yisrael. And somebody once asked him, why do we stay up all night on Shavuos? Right? So the famous answer is, of course, because the Klai Yisrael, they overslept, the Dev Kabbalah Satorah. So we want to show our exuberance. We want to show how excited we are to accept the Torah. So we're going to stay up all night. So I heard an unbelievable statement, an unbelievable response of Rav Tzvi Berkowitz. He said, you want to know why we stay up all night on Shavuos? Because when you're in love, you do crazy things. When you're in love, it gives me the chills, you do crazy things. We want to love Hashem. We want to have HaKadosh Baruch Hu in our lives. But the only way we're going to fall in love with Hashem and do crazy things like Rav Tzvi Berkowitz explained is if we become more L'Shem Shemayim. If instead of doing what we want to do as a natural reflex, we ask ourselves, what would HaKadosh Baruch Hu want us to do? We want Hashem to be present during these times when at times we feel isolated. We have to ask ourselves the question, is this what Hashem wants from me? It's a tough question because sometimes the answer is no. And now you have to figure out how you're going to deal with the next step of the decision-making process. But if we want HaKadosh Baruch Hu to be present in our lives, if we want to fall in love with the Ribbon Shalom, if we want to strengthen that relationship, and as some students have said they've struggled with, if we want to feel Hashem on the other end of that conversation, we have to bring Him in. We have to include Him in our conversations. We have to include Him in the decisions that we make. We have to become more L'Shem Shamayim. We have to make our agenda identify with the Ribbon Shalom's agenda. I'll share with you an amazing story that I've shared in the past, but it's such an amazing story, and I really think it brings this point home even further that I'm going to share with, with you tonight. Rav Lebele Eger, the grandson of Rabbi Kiva Eger, so Rabbi Kiva Eger, those of you know, is my wife's great, 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 great grandfather. Rabbi Kiva Eger and the Chassam Sofer. Rabbi Kiva Eger's grandson became a Chassid, Rav Lebele Eger. And Rabbi Lebele Eger, after a long period of time of really struggling between the world of uh, the non-Hasidic world versus the Hasidic world, decided he was going to lead, leave that non-Hasidic world, the Litvisha world, and he was going to enter a Hasidic yeshiva, much to the chagrin of his father, who was not very happy about it. And he started the, going to the yeshiva in Elul, and the month of Elul was a total disaster. He didn't know what was flying. 
you know, you come from a different world, there are different customs, there are different minhagim, there are different uh, lingo that you have, and he did not know what was going on. And, uh, and he went to the yeshiva for that month and really had a hard time finding his place. But by the time it came to Rosh Hashanah, he really developed a level of comfortability, he had a chevra, he got to know some of the rabbeim, he learned some of the lingo and some of the customs, the minhagim, and he really felt very comfortable. He gets to Yom Kippur, and after Kol Nidre and Mariv, what do all the Bnei Yeshiva do? They sit and they learn. You can't go to the meal anyway. There's no meals in Yom Kippur. They sit and they learn. And three Hasidim come over to Rav Lebele Eger with a bottle of scotch and four shot glasses. And they pour the shots into the shot glasses and they want to make a lachaim to Rav Lebele Eger. Rav Lebele Eger is looking at them like they literally fell off Mars. It's Yom Kippur. We can't eat on Yom Kippur. What is going on here? So they pour the glasses and the hand one to Rav Lebel Eger. We're going to make a l'chaim. So Rav Lebel Eger says, you can't eat on Yom Kippur. There's an explicit pasuk in the Torah. You're not allowed to enjoy any material, physical things, one of which is eating and drinking. It's not permissible. So the Hasidim said, no, 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 you misunderstood. The prohibition of eating on Yom Kippur is only for those who cannot sanctify the material world. We're Hasidim. We can be Makadish, we can sanctify anything, and so therefore we're permitted to eat on Yom Kippur. So they're lifting the shot glasses up, and Rav Label Eger starts to say, what do you mean? The Torah says if you eat on Yom Kippur, you're going to get kares. You're going to get cut off from the Jewish people. How could you possibly risk that? To which the Hasidim responded, what do you mean? That punishment is for people who think that they know how to sanctify the material world when they really don't. But we know how to, and so therefore we're permitted to go ahead and uh, eat on Yom Kippur. And they're about to drink from the, from the scotch. They're about to make this the Chaim. And Rav Label Eger smacks down on his stender and he screams out in the middle of the base Medrash, No! That's not what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants you to do. And the Hasidim put down their shot glasses and they closed the bottle of scotch and they turned to the Rav Label Eger and they said, Correct. The reason why we're not going to eat on Yom Kippur isn't just because the Torah says it's prohibited and there's a severe consequence if we do it. The reason why we don't eat on Yom Kippur is because HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't want us to do it. That is being L'Shem Shamayim. Being L'Shem Shamayim, living a life of MS means asking yourself on a regular basis, doing the Cheshbon HaNefesh, considering and reflecting and internalizing is my life consistent with what Hashem wants for me? And while we're all in the growth process and we're on a journey and we're on an odyssey and we will not fully be able to do the Ratzon of Hashem anytime in our lives because we're human, we have to begin that process. We have to start asking ourselves on a more regular basis, am I being L'Shem Shamayim? Is my agenda consistent and similar to that which HaKadosh Baruch Hu's agenda is? Am I doing the Ratzon of Hashem? Am I living a life that's L'Shem Shemaim? Because if you live a life that's L'Shem Shemaim, so full Hiskayim, you're going to be able to persevere, you're going to be able to endure, you're going to be able to get through all the obstacles in your life because you've brought HaKadosh Baruch Hu into your life. But if every time you decide something, it's always about another consideration, it's always about another ulterior motive or another driven lens that you are looking through, then you've lost it and you will not feel that presence in Hashem's life. And so therefore, as we look to this message of what's your agenda, you all need to get off this call. You all need to get off this year and you need to ask yourself, what is my agenda now and where do I see my agenda going? 
Where do I want to see my end game? Who do I want to be? And how am I going to get there? And I think that begins with these questions of who I want to be. Let me ask myself, am I, is, am, I, am I doing the right thing? And is this what Hashem wants from me? And I think if you begin to ask that question to yourself, you're going to start to reorient. And you're going to start to readjust every decision you make. You're going to start to feel a more tangible presence of the Rebona Shalom in your life. You're going to start to daven more because you realize that it's all in His hands. And that relationship is going to grow until, as Rav Tzvi Berkowitz says, you're going to start doing crazy things because you're falling in love with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And Amir Tashem, if we take these messages to light and we start to ask ourselves more regularly, is this what Hashem wants for me? Then not only will we bring HaKadosh Baruch Hu in our lives more, not only will we feel that presence in our, with Hashem much more tangibly, much more real, but we will ultimately be able to have a closer, deeper relationship with Hashem where we feel He's more available and we're more available to Him so that instead of Him serving us, so to speak, we are able to serve Him. Have a great night and thank you for listening.